Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, wonderful listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this next episode in our dog movie series is my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hello, everyone. This week, we'll be talking about The Art of Racing in the Rain, based on a novel of the same name by author Garth Stein and set right here, where I'm sitting, in the good old Pacific Northwest. If you're familiar with the book, it's basically a dog-narrated story about the pet of a race car driver's life, and the whole thing is just a beautiful, touching story full of racing metaphors for life. We're both big fans, and this is a great example of a movie that makes you feel, so... Let's get into it, shall we? Patrick, why don't you get us started with one-word takeaways? Well, I had two that I was wrestling with, but the one I settled on was constant. And for me, I hadn't read the book. Interesting fact, I knew about this book. And the only reason I knew about this book was when I was in book club several years ago, which I miss, we were told, we're told, we were asked for Christmas to find a book by a popular author at the time that wasn't the book that they were popular for. And so at the time, Garth Stein's book, The Art of Racing in the Rain, was his popular book. And I was like, okay, so I'm not picking that. So I picked the other book at the time. I don't know if he's written any more, but it's called How Evan Broke His Head and Other Secrets, which I fell in love with. Never and, knew this. I never yeah. knew this. Yeah, and so what we would do is we would read it, and then we would give it away. Like, it would basically be a gift exchange. And I loved it so much that I gave my copy away because I was supposed to, and then promptly bought another one because I thought it was really great. And so I only knew about the the story from that experience. So when the movie came out, I was like, wow, at some point I want to read the read the book. After watching the movie, I said, no, I'm not doing that because I'm not going to put myself through that emotional turmoil again. <laughs> but... When I think about the movie as a whole, I think that more than anything, there is a constant sense of love. There is a constant presence, obviously, with uh, with our dog Enzo in in Denny's life. But more than anything, there is a constant feeling I get of just a tribute to the relationship between a man and his dog, or a boy and his dog, and watching this. I I was constantly wondering what was going to happen next. Um, another word that came to mind for me is second place. One word takeaway was unpredictable because it didn't feel like your typical story, like your typical, like, okay, I know what's going to happen next. I mean, we're, we're kind of hinted at at the very beginning of what the end is going to be. But leading up to that point, seeing how the scene was set, we didn't know what circumstances were leading to that. And there were moments in the movie where I was like, oh, my goodness. So I was in a constant state of wonder, like wondering how is the story going to end and how was I going to feel? And I was constantly just falling more in love with this relationship between Danny and Enzo. And I left that movie experience going, that was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Good. I'm glad. I, yeah, I had I guess I misspoke. I assumed incorrectly that we had talked about it we probably did talk about it 
And I knew you had read the second book by him, which I have not gotten around to yet, but I just automatically assumed that meant that you must have read the first one because why would anybody go read this guy's second book unless they'd read the first one? And that, exactly. what a cool idea though. I mean, that is a really, really nifty idea and you're right. Book clubs are awesome. They're the equivalent of like what we're doing, going through a TV show essentially. Right. And yeah. we've been doing those. So TV clubs are fun too. TV series <laughs> clubs. Well, my one word takeaway is bond and no, it's not bond. James bond. Rip, Sean Rest Connery, yeah, Sir yeah, Sean yeah. Connery. Rest in peace. <laughs> but um, no, it's Bond. And, and that's because this movie is about the bond between an owner and a pet. And it is brilliantly shown, but not just from the human's perspective, from the dog's perspective. And what makes this special among the m- multiple books that have come either before and or after it that also feature dogs that have thoughts or pets that have thoughts is the writing because it's not just a dog who brings up and says silly things that we kind of giggle at. Now there are those mixed in here at times where he may reference dog related things, but this is about a dog who feels like a human. He feels like an equal to us. When he's getting adopted, Enzo actually mentions this. He says, even back then, I knew I wasn't, I knew I was different than other dogs. My soul just felt more human. And it's that humanity for me that I think lets us experience our own feelings about our pets that many of us love in an entirely different way through seeing what it might be like if they could talk to us and what they might be thinking about our relationship that goes a lot deeper than just, oh, hey, when are you going to feed me? Or, oh, what is this human throwing a ball for? I'm bored, which is where the jokes usually land when we're talking about a dog that has thoughts. And so they bond over racing, yes, but it's also special because they bond over being good people, or I guess in this case, a good person and a good doggo. And it's a lovely relationship between Denny and Enzo the whole way through and it's just given so much weight and it's, it's given so much room to breathe and grow. And we get to walk through so much of their life together from start to finish that you're right. I guess it is constant in a way. And it shows that bond constantly from the very start all the way to the end. And yeah. it just, it's relatable. I think this is going to be a running theme for a lot of these episodes that we do is the fact that we're relatable to the pets that we're covering. Well, with that said, we are going to talk spoilers. So if you haven't read the book and you want to, or you haven't seen the movie and you want to seek those out, because we're going to tell you exactly what happens as we get into the meat here and start discussing the themes and the emotional core of this story. There's your spoiler warning and we're done. Okay. You've been warned. All right, well, Patrick, the story itself is a touching one about a man and a dog and his family. And I think that that's entertaining enough on its own. It will get me in the door most times (laughs) for a movie plot, no matter how bad the movie turns out to be. But what makes this one unique is the metaphorical way in which it uses racing, the profession of its main human character, to provide 
inspirational life lessons. That's what made this book take off. That's what made it a bestseller was mixing that humanity of the dog with these incredible life lessons that when your animal, your pet, your beloved is like the one that's giving you this advice, it feels very different than if you're reading it in a self-help book for some reason. And so I found it really interesting that the book is lauded, but the film has received extremely poor reception from critics. In fact, to the point where the initial reception came out a few days before Seattle's press screening of this movie, and it was so bad, so low, that I ended up bailing on it. I remember we were going to cover it, and I was like, no, nah, man, let's just, it was in the middle of a week, and I was a little tired, and I just didn't want to push it for a bad movie. I didn't want to be let down because I was really excited about this going into it. And so it took me a while to actually finally see the movie because it had, it had a 43% Rotten Tomato meter from critics, but it has a 96% from users, which is one of the bigger swings you will ever see. It's like over 50% difference, right? So I just wondered, like, what do you think is the cause of that? And I don't mean in general with all of cinema. I mean, why do you think this movie did not work for critics, but so much of the general audience that sees it absolutely adores it? Like, what does that say about the world? And you've already said that you found it to be wonderful, so you clearly fall in that 96% with me. Why does it affect us differently than someone who's trying to review it critically? I think because of that, they're having to review it critically. And we talk about this. I know you don't want to talk about cinema as a whole, and I'm not. But specifically talking about our show, this is really the sweet spot of why we do what we do. There's an emotional takeaway that is very significant from this movie. And if I were to try to sum this up, it's not good if it feels good. I think that's kind of the consensus with a movie like this is it has to hurt. It has to feel jaded. It has to have some raw realness to it. And if it feels like a fantasy wrapped up in a reality, it comes across as a little bit stupid. Whereas if this were an animated movie and a dog were talking <laughs> or thinking, I think it would have a better critical reception because the package itself doesn't feel like it should be taking itself seriously. And that's the thing is, we are, as an audience, we are sort of living in this blended world of seeing a guy who is a race car driver, a very real thing, falling in love with a dog, which is a very real thing, falling in love with a woman, which is a very real thing, and having a child, which is a very real thing. But it's all under this umbrella of Kevin Costner narrating from a dog's perspective. And maybe from a critical standpoint, that just seems kind of stupid. It's like, how can I take a movie seriously when my narrator has paws and doesn't have opposable thumbs and drools on everything. That would be from a critical standpoint where I would probably come from. But as you and I both agree, critics are dumb. And which <laughs> I, I, I think the fact is, Aaron, there's some cynicism that exists when it comes to movies like this because it can't feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. And if it feels too good, it's probably too good to be true. Therefore, let's dismiss it as just being another feel-good movie that I don't want to take seriously. And I disagree with that. I think that we need more films like this, not because they are condes not condescending, but not because they're coddling us, 
but because there is real truth in these. And maybe the message or the packaging isn't great because it doesn't feel, quote, real, but it doesn't have to either. I mean, that's why metaphors are so great. That's why we latch on to parables or we latch on to things like Pilgrim's Progress, these kind of stories, these allegories that we can attach ourselves to. And when we look at movies as a means to entertain first and foremost, this absolutely did it. But when you sprinkle it with these areas of slight education and inspiration, I think that's where critics really find frustration is that it has to be unique. It has to feel different. It has to feel like it hits you in both a positive and negative way. And I think it's one of those things like Ford v. Ferrari. We talked about the fact that it wasn't something like amazing that was done with the movie. It just felt really good. It was overall a really great film. And maybe also because it was in a packed lineup of other Oscar nominated films that were well deserved, it didn't come across as one of those wow movies because it was just great kind of overall. And I think The Art of Racing in the Rain, coincidentally, another movie with racing in its in its narrative hits in that same regard. But you couple that with a narrator that has four legs instead of two. And I think for critics, it's difficult for them to kind of take that seriously. And because they can't take it seriously, it's difficult for them to put it in a category where it's like, yeah, this is worth seeing. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I found that to be strange in this one once I watched it, because, it, you know, I don't think it skirts the issues here. Denny definitely has struggles. Like this is not a life that is without difficulty. You know, I mean, not, not everything goes the way it does in the very end, I guess. Things ultimately go well for him. It's a little unrealistic that someone would be out of racing all of this time and suddenly be kind of like picked up to go into a Formula One car and be able to race, especially now that I'm an F1 fan and I've been watching these races. It was kind of kind of cool because this weekend, literally today, Patrick, the day that we're recording this, the Formula One Grand Prix was at a track that is lovingly called Imola, and it is in Italy, and it is the track where Ayrton Senna passed away, and it's mentioned in this movie a couple of times. It's that track. They hadn't raced there since 2006. Lo and behold, today, the first day they go back in like 14 years or whatever, and it's the day we're talking about this movie, you know, it's the track itself is named after Enzo Ferrari. And, you know, here is our dog named after Enzo Ferrari. So the parallels were kind of cool. But having watched the sport now and, and understanding how that sport works, it's like a lot of professional sports. Like you don't just stop doing something and do something else for 10 years <laughs> or uh, and then suddenly you're the best in the world. Um, it's very difficult. So I can see a little bit of, you know, you have to suspend belief to get there. But his wife dies, <laughs> you know, he goes through a majorly painful and damaging custody battle. Like there are some real challenges in life that have to be overcome uh, for the family. And so I don't think it's cheap in any way, I guess. But I agree with you. I think the world is a little bit cynical and we tend to look at things that have an overall happy ending and we call them unrealistic because our lives don't feel like that right now. 
And that's unfortunate. Like you said, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like we need more of this. We need to like be inspired like this. And that those lessons that Enzo gives to us kind of seamlessly as he's talking through racing and as he's working his way through understanding these concepts, I think they're great, man. There are so many neat things. One of the ones that stuck out to me big time, well, I'm going to mention two. One is a simple line, and there there's so many racing metaphors that just kind of get dropped. But the one that I love is, I believe it's Eve who is talking at one point, and she says, no race was ever won in the first corner. And I don't remember she says it in the movie, but in the actual book, and I remember this line vividly, the full quote was, no race was ever won in the first corner, but plenty of them were lost, right? And that's beautiful sentiment and it's something that we could all use to be reminded of even if it's just patrick even if it's just like this week this movie's on my mind this quote is in my head so you know what this week i'm gonna think about my life and think about the races that i'm running in general just all of the different races whether it's the race i'm running at work and the race i'm running with balancing my entertainment time or whatever, my creative pursuits, my spending time with my family, getting prepared to get a puppy, all of these things. Like it's not one in the first corner. I need to slow down. I need to think about things. I need to be prepared to, to extend myself and like be in it for the long haul and, you know, pace myself. Like these are great things to refresh yourself with on a regular basis, just going through your everyday life. The other one that I love a lot is Denny's talking about his time in a race car and he's describing, and this is kind of part of where the book gets its name. He's known for being such an incredible driver in the rain and he's explaining and he says, when I'm in a race car, I'm the creator of my own destiny. That which you manifest is before you create your own conditions and rain is just rain. That I think is amazing because it speaks to this idea of preparation and understanding and not being at the mercy of the situation, but having the foresight to be ready and be trained and be prepared to adapt. And when you can do that and it plays itself out in one of the races in the movie where you know i think it's don kitch his trainer his his engineer is talking about how you know denny put on rain slick tires before it started raining and now everybody else has to pit and put them on and take an extra pit stop and so when you're talking like how races work again something i've learned now that i'm a formula one fan i thought it was just the best driver whoa it's not so much of it is who's got the best car But then there's also the strategy element of pit stops and when you pit and which tires you use, how many times you've got to pit. And all of this is like seconds, right? Points of tenths of seconds that you're calculating. That's where Denny won is because he's strategizing and he's using his instincts and he's not allowing himself to be at the mercy of something he can be prepared for. And I just think that's a beautiful lesson And that's what I get out of it when I hear it. Like, that's what I think the point of the book, the point of the movie is. We get to hear that and we get it in a great little 
adorably fun to watch and tender package of a guy and his dog. And we wish that we could have that type of conversation with our pets, you know, and it's something I just take with me. So were there any of these inspirational things that stuck out to you throughout the course of the film? Well, all those did, of course. But the the one thing that sort of correlates, connects with those is, I don't remember the specific quote, but the idea was essentially that when you're in a race car, you're thinking about that moment and what's in front of you. You're not thinking about 15 laps down the road. You're not thinking about what happened last week in the race before. You're thinking about what you're doing right then, being in the moment, being fully present as you're driving and being able to make decisions based on the things that are happening right then. And that seems like it would be in direct contrast with what you're talking about, which is the idea of, you know, no race was won in the first turn, first, yeah, first turn, but most people have lost at that first one. I'm butchering the quote. I apologize. But what I see from those two ideas is that there's this balance that is represented in this movie, and particularly with with Denny and Enzo's relationship, where he's always thinking about what's happening in the future, but he's not festering on it. He's not living in the future, thinking about what's going to happen 5, 10, 15 years down the road. He's in that moment. I mean, the whole reason that he got a puppy was because he was driving down the road and he saw a sign that said puppies and he was compelled to do that. He wasn't planning on getting a dog. This is not you, Aaron. He wasn't planning on getting a dog and going out to PetSmart and buying tons and tons and tons of puppy gear. Although that's probably a smart thing to do. No, he found a dog. He fell in love with the dog. That dog fell in love with him and it started this relationship. And so he has to constantly make adjustments. He was criticized early on. What are you going to do when you have to go on the road? Well, I'll take him with me. He's my good luck charm. So he's thinking about it in the moment. But as we move through the story, all those things with his relationship with his wife and the birth of their daughter, all those things, he's carefully walking through those things with Enzo. Now, he's not a planner, and that's a criticism of him by... Uh, her dad, and rightly so. I mean, he asks the question, "What have you done to prepare?" And I think that when you when you look at Denny's life, what you see is this combination of both appreciating the now, being fully present. So when he's on the racetrack, he's on the racetrack. But when he comes home, he's not thinking about the next race. He's thinking about being with his daughter, being with his wife, and being with Enzo. But the long story that we see is that he never stops loving those people. He never stops loving Enzo. He never stops loving racing. These are always going to be a part of his life. And I think that's something to be appreciated. Because what I liked about the story is that racing never became a point of contention between him and Eve. And I love that. I absolutely love the fact that he was the one that struggled with I need you know being gone potentially when their daughter was going to be going. She goes, no, you've got to do this, mm-hmm. man. We talk about an endorsement, <laughs> and so I just I look at that and I and I see this idea of having that balance of being able to know what's coming, 
but being fully present where you are, because if you're not fully present, you miss those quiet, intimate moments, those moments on the track when you need to turn or when you need to push through the rain versus when you're thinking about, okay, in about 35 laps, I need to make sure that I'm in this place. No, don't think about that right now. Just think about what's happening in front of you. But at the same time, know that the choices you make now are going to be choices that continue to get made and can get made that lead to eventually a metaphorical victory of some kind. And I think that that shows throughout the life of Denny and his relationship with Enzo, how they kind of get to that point. Yeah, I would agree. And I I think that it also does a good job of showing things in the story that correspond to the life lessons. And one that I very much remember is Denny was racing in Daytona and he doesn't come back and he's you know devastated and he's talking about how the end of the world because he lost. He actually says he's like, we lost. We just lost. Like it happens, right? And it speaks to the reality, I think, of our lives because we see him be able to process that clearly. He's not overly emotional or tied to winning at all costs by any means. And then after that, we see him and he's gone on this test drive with the head of driver development from Ferrari in this one of my favorite scenes where he takes him out in the new car and just takes him around and he comes back and he's sitting there talking to Don and Don says all I know is he respects how you're fighting for your daughter and Denny says and what if I don't win because he's talking about like whether or not he can actually take this job and ever get into Europe to to do this and Don says there's no dishonor in losing the race there's only dishonor in not racing because you're afraid to lose. Now go find your students, get back on that track. That's where you belong. And that's really what it's about. It's about not being afraid to be challenged, to do the things that you love, to achieve the things that you love. And that could be your creative pursuits, your interests, whether it be race car driving as a career or whether it be podcasting or directing movies as a hobby Whatever it is, but it could also be fighting for your daughter and custody because you know it's right, because you know that she needs you, and that's what's important to you. And I love that. I just love the way that the film demonstrates its concepts as well as speaking to its concepts. It's not just exposition. You know, when Denny says at some point in every race, you have to take a risk if you want to win. Denny then does that, right? He takes a risk by going to court and challenging them to do the right thing versus taking the easier out, even though he knows he's not guilty. And so I I just, I like that a lot that it kind of shows the things and doesn't just tell. Well, one of the big themes in the movie and the one we actually start off with, we start sort of towards the end of the film with a flash forward of Enzo uh, lying in his own urine, waiting for Denny to come home. And he's talking about Mongolia and reincarnation. And he believes because of this documentary that he saw, which I love, by the way, the fact that the dog can actually watch TV and process it. Like as film guys, like I'm just eating that up. Cause you know how many movies my cats have watched with me, man? Like these are, (laughs) 
These would just, all be like Rotten Tomato scores of like 50% or less. You know, like, <laughs> I, I don't understand what's going on. What do these people do? <laughs> yes. But Enzo understood. And so he believes that he can be reincarnated as a man. Um, now, obviously, you and I don't believe in reincarnation from a faith perspective. And so because of that, I wanted to ask, is there a way that you were able to kind of appreciate what the movie and what the story has to say using this concept, even if we don't necessarily agree with the actual belief of the thing that's being talked about? Well, I think Enzo's desire to find value after he dies is something that you and I can get on board with. And I think a lot of people can. This idea that we ask the question, is life, is this life all there is? And when we live in a, a year like this year, we probably ask that question. So when I, when I hear that concept come out of the mouth of, by the way, Kevin Costner is just great. I, I love his narration in this. I, I've been on a big Costner kick the last couple of weeks when we started watching Man of Steel. I've recently, I was watching uh, For Love of the Game before we started podcasting tonight. I just, He's great. Um, may pop in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves at some point this week. I don't know. We'll He's see. also going to come up in a, the next podcast episode we do in the, in the next <laughs> FF+. Plus. Yeah, <laughs> He's a, everywhere. He's everywhere, man. He's having his own reincarnation of his acting or whatever. But when I, when I think about what Enzo as a character is wanting to accomplish, this idea of wanting to come back as a man, I think it's because... At this point, even though we haven't seen how the story plays out, he has lived a full life and he wants to make sure that he still has value, not as a dog, but as a companion. And he even says at the beginning, he says, look, I know that one of the essentially one of the sacrifices is that I'm not going to remember anything that's happened. But I know that if I come back as a man, I I I feel like I'm going to still have that kind of value because he sees Denny as someone who values him as a friend equally as much as he values Denny as a friend. And I think this idea of reincarnation, it's played down from, from my perspective, probably more so than I expected it to. I think what's played up is the fact that Enzo at that point wanted to make sure that Everything that he was supposed to do for Denny was done. And I think at that point in the film, being reincarnated and coming out back as a man was an indication that he wasn't done yet. And I think that eventually got resolved because by the end of the film, he had said, I'm ready to go. And I thought that was a fantastic way to kind of resolve that. He didn't feel like he had to be reincarnated because he did all he could. He was all he needed to be for Denny, and he was okay with letting his life go away. He didn't need to be reincarnated to finish what he had started because he felt like he already had. Yeah, I agree with that. And I actually want to read his narration because I think it's skillfully written the way that it incorporates the perspective of what this dog is believing because of what he's watching. He says, in Mongolia, when a dog dies, he is buried high in the hills, so people cannot walk on his grave. The dog's master whispers into the dog's ear his wishes that the dog will return as a man in his next life. Then his tail is cut off, that, that part's a little creepy, and put beneath his head. And a piece of meat or fat is placed in his mouth to sustain his soul on its journey. 
Before he is reincarnated, the dog's soul is freed to travel a land, to run across the high desert plains for as long as it would like. I learned that from a program on the National Geographic channel, so I believe it is true. <laughs> Not all dogs return as men, they say. Only those who are ready. I am ready. Like, that was what you were saying. And I think it's cute because he acknowledges, the writer in the writing acknowledges the somewhat, <laughs> I guess, lax ability we have to just believe whatever we see <laughs> on TV. Like, oh, this was a National Geographic documentary, so therefore it must be true. But it speaks to something that he wants, like you said, about what's next. And he does. He says he's ready. And he follows that up briefly. He says, I know death is not the end. Eve told me so. And I believe her. And then he talks a little bit about coming back as a man with the wisdom of an adult. And he wants to teach people all that he knows. I love that. I love this idea of Enzo as a representative of like, why aren't we treating our lives like Enzo is treating his life? You know what I mean? Like he's just a dog, but he cares about these things. Why wouldn't we care about these things? Why wouldn't we want to have this wisdom and want to pass our wisdom on, not necessarily in the next life and reincarnation, you know, but now Enzo doesn't have the opportunity to do that because he's a dog and he can't talk. So, but he yearns for that. And I think in a way that's a great, way to trigger in us like we do have that ability man like why are we wasting it why would we not live fully and care about other people throughout Enzo's talking about how good of a man Denny is right and how respectful he is to people and Enzo wants to be like that as well we should want to be like Denny. We should want to be that way. And we can, because we're not a dog who has to get reincarnated and able to do it. So I think it's a really cute way to go through this because it's it's real for one thing. Like there are people who believe that in Mongolia, like that's where it's coming from. And if you were a dog and that's what you knew to be true, you would want to believe that. And like you mentioned, you know, you and I agree with the idea, like, I wouldn't want to go through my life thinking this was all there was. What what the heck would be the point, man? If, it, if this is as good as it gets, then what is the point? There is no point. There really isn't. Um, like you, you have to believe it can be better. Or there's something more, I guess. So, I like it quite a bit, even though I don't agree with the idea of reincarnation too. And I thought that that was great. Well, one thing that's interesting in this movie... It's just a little subplot, but it's one of the more entertaining scenes in the movie. And it has to do with Enzo's battles with this stuffed zebra that Eve's father gives Zoe as a baby. Did you pull anything out of these brief moments with the zebra and Enzo's battles with it that are a little bit surreal and left up to interpretation? You know, I, I don't. These weren't my favorite parts in the movie. And they led to great moments. The discovery that Enzo was the one that actually tore up all of 
the stuffed animals and not the zebra, which led to Denny scolding him and calling him a stupid dog. And then that resolution one scene later, which I was like, please resolve this, please resolve this. He said, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. Um, and then the the second time, the zebra pin <laughs> that was going to be used to basically give custody of his daughter to his parents. That led to <laughs> Enzo taking the paper and then just tearing it up. And I love the line by one of Danny's friends. I've got to get I got to get a dog. <laughs> it's just so great. It's like that would be me. I'd be the one laughing. I would be the one laughing and being yelled at and saying, stop, it's not funny. What I got from it, Aaron, was the fact that it it came at a point, the whole destructive sequence of all the stuffed animals or of, uh, at that time, just one stuffed animal. That was almost my connecting point, that leaving Enzo in the house for three days and I just, I couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I understood why, but it made me sad. And when I, when I watched that sequence play out, what it, I knew that it was a metaphor for something. And as I was watching it, I began to think, well, maybe this is like the worst part of a person or an entity of a dog or whatever, because what the end result was is that the hallucination was not a hallucination. Enzo destroyed all these stuffed animals because he maybe in his heart was mad at the family for leaving. I mean, he knew logistically that Danny was coming home at some point and he knew how to survive. But I think it represented this idea that every living thing has a dark side, has an angry streak, has a mean streak, and that if it's triggered by something, it will come out which I thought made the scene a couple of scenes later so poignant because when Denny was getting mad at Enzo, I was like, why are you getting mad at him? He, first of all, you're doing this like probably two days later than when he actually, so he's not going to understand because that's fundamental. Like you can't take a dog to his poop and say, don't do that four hours after he's done it. It doesn't teach him anything. But you're also thinking, to yourself, he's been left alone for three days. What do you expect? And I think in that moment, I felt like Denny when I got when I get mad at my dogs if they do something dangerous, like if they inadvertently try to bite my son because he's messed with them. I got to re- I realize instinctually that my son matters more than my pet. And so in that moment, I, I felt for Denny because I was like. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I would do that to my dog because I'm mad. I'm mad at the fact that my dog was left alone for three days. I'm mad at the fact that my wife is sick. I'm mad at the fact that these stuffed animals are ruined and my daughter is crying incessantly. So yeah, I'm going to take it out on the one thing that I can take it out on that's not going to yell back at me, that's not going to hit me, that's not going to do anything. And then I'm going to have remorse for it. And so I felt that for Denny. And I think but those two sequences with the uh, with with this this hallucination with the zebra it was just i think it just it was a representation that people can make mistakes animals can make mistakes and that we have to live with that we have to live with the fact that we are <laughs> metaphorically human literally human <laughs> depending on whose perspective it's from 
and that we have to be able to live with those choices that we make and be able to forgive ourselves. And so I, that's kind of where I was coming from with it. I think that's great. I think that you really got that. First of all, I love the scene. I think it's phenomenal. The first one, it has this great horror vibe to it when the zebra is like dancing and he suddenly like you just don't expect this sudden CGI character in this movie. It comes out of nowhere. Right. And it's like animated zebra. And boy, when he like starts giggling and like ripping himself to shreds and just laughing about it like ah i got you i'm gonna blame this i mean i just think it's amazing like watching this dog like struggle with this and freak out because of this zebra thing i i love it i love it i love it the imagery that we get there and i'm gonna cheat uh, and i'm gonna read you what enzo says in the book because he actually calls it out pretty specifically he says, I suddenly realized the zebra, it is not something outside of us. The zebra is inside of us, our fears, our own self-destructive natures. The zebra is the worst part of us when we are face to face with our worst times. The demon is us. So he calls it out very point blank in the book, and it's not narrated that way in the movie, which is fine. And I love that you essentially got to that same place. Like, that's exactly what it is, is he's dealing with his nature and the desire to act on these fears and trying to fight against them. And it's this demon to him. And it, not only does it happen here uh, when he destroys all of the stuffed animals while he's left alone and he's hallucinating and obviously his blood sugar is low. But he brings it up again when he can't get into the hospital. He says, I would have done anything to stay with him, but being a dog, I was not allowed into the hospital to hear the diagnosis or the options being discussed. I was almost 10 years old, but no one confided in me or expected anything except that I control my barking and do my business outside. Somewhere the zebra was dancing. I thought about escaping. I wanted to push everyone away and run off to live with my ancestors on the high desert plains of Mongolia. I might have too, if not for my absolute faith in Denny's ability to make things right again. And that's him learning as he goes, right? He's already had the one experience with the zebra where he tears it apart. This is him again being faced with a zebra moment and trying to understand it and recognize it and fight against it. And what, what helps him fight against it is believing in somebody else, believing in the person that loves him and the person that he loves and his trust. And like he says, my absolute faith in Denny's ability to make things right. Right after that is one of my favorite quotes too, where he's talking about the family problems and he says, when faced with one of these problems, the poor driver crashes. The average driver gives up. The great drivers drive through the problem. They figure out a way to continue racing. And, I mean, that's a metaphorical, easy, verbose way of just saying, don't ever give up. <laughs> right? As Jimmy Volvano bravely said, um, you know, when he was fighting cancer. And, and so I, it's, I think it's a wonderful little thing that's put in here and that's not overplayed and that's what i like about it is i think it gets its message across but it doesn't overstay its welcome 
to the point where it derails the movie because it's out of place. And I love that, like I said, you you essentially picked up on exactly what Enzo says in the book without him having to say it. So to me, that's good movie making. That's a great yeah. ad- adapting of the script. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, Eve's dad, as you mentioned, never really approves of the marriage to Denny. And it's because of his life as a race car driver. Both it's dangerous and it takes him away from the family in the moment. So both present and worried about the future. Did you feel like the subplot of them wanting custody of Zoe after Eve died is realistic? And more importantly than whether or not it's realistic, how did that conflict affect you emotionally? Did you think that they had a case for what they were wanting due to Denny's chosen profession, even if maybe they could have handled it in a different way? Um, or did you feel like it was a little bit tacked on as just too much drama after a guy has already gone through having to lose his wife? Well, the collateral damage of losing your wife is that you're a single dad now. So it absolutely made sense. And I don't think it was tacked on at all. I think it was fitting at the fact that we get introduced to these parents early on. If we just got introduced to him midway through when Evie was getting sick, then that probably would have felt a little bit forced. But early on, we already early on get that conflict between Denny and Evie's dad where he's concerned that Denny's not spending enough time with the family. It's filmed in a way that's really great because it's in direct contrast with this family of three, four, with, uh, with, with Enzo, that are all supportive of what Denny's doing. I mean, nowhere in the movie do we see any remorse, do we see any kind of guilt that's being put on Denny for racing. Again, when he's with the family, he's with them fully. He's not thinking about his next race. We're not shown that. When he's at the racetrack, he's there and he's not thinking about anything else and it's just like with his relationship with Enzo both his wife and his daughter support what he's doing because they believe in him and yes you're gonna have risk when you take on a profession like that if he was a pilot flying commercially he takes that risk and he's also gone a lot. Anytime you're at the mercy of a machine for your job, you're absolutely going to be in a place where you're not necessarily going to be safe all the time. And I didn't believe him when he's when he told Eve's dad, I will always keep them safe. I will always be. I believed his sentiment, but it would have been difficult for me to say, Will you give up racing for the sake of guaranteeing that you won't be putting yourself in arm's way. I don't think he would ever do that because I don't think he believed that what he was doing was, was that way. I think he was that confident and they were that confident in him that he wasn't going to risk his life for the sake of winning a race, which I think is played out really well. And that he's disappointed. Yeah. He's disappointed that he didn't, didn't win races, but he doesn't obsess over it. And I think that's that's the difference between having somebody who ignores his family and everything else for the sake of what he loves, as opposed to having that love integrated into a life with his family. 
Yeah. And so, and so this subplot with her dad and, and mom and wanting to take custody of his daughter, I think absolutely made sense because from their point of view, they didn't see into that world. What they saw was here's a reckless race car driver who may win, may lose, but it's always gone. We need to do what's best. And I had sympathy for them, but not empathy at this point, because we knew the world of Denny and his, his family. We were with them the whole time. And so he was going to make what adjustments he needed to make in order to make sure that his daughter stayed with, with him. And so for me, yeah, I thought it was appropriate as the story moved along for them to step in and do what they were going to do and for the rest of the movie to play out the way it did. Yeah, it's natural progression of the story. 100% agree with you and didn't have any problem with it. The only bit of a little bit of kind of drama is the fact that they fake the assault when it yeah. very clearly is not him assaulting the grandfather in any way, shape, or form. And it gives you the extra dramatic moment of the grandma on the stand, you know, turning it around and saying, no, I can't lie. I can't do this. Um, but yeah, it makes sense the way that they respond to it. And I liked it because I could relate in a little bit of ways, not because I ever had grandparents that tried to take my kids away, but because I've done the single dad thing at times in my life during divorces where I'm watching him trying to be a single parent, like while Eve is in the hospital and after she's gone and, you know, I I've been yelled at for being bad at brushing my daughter's hair. Like it is a long running joke between Ashlyn and I. She just won't let me touch her hair because I traumatized her when she was a little girl. Dads can't do that. And the, the story understands that those kind of like real things that people go through. And I love that we get the opportunity when he's struggling through this to see people around him. Like you said, we get to see it. The grandparents don't, but we see the people, how they love him, how they help get him a job to get by. They help with whatever he needs even Enzo pushes him to go for a run together when he feels like Denny needs to get out and go do something. So it's that support network that he has. And I never had a doubt that he would do what he needed to do. I think it actually speaks to a big problem in the world, which is people believe that their way is the right way. And they want to impose that on others. And so for these grandparents, they believe that Zoe needs to grow up a certain way in order for her to grow up, quote unquote, right, or the best way possible. And they don't allow for there to be any other way for Zoe to grow up and still be a perfectly successful, happy, healthy, young girl. And so it's that imposing of a belief system on others that we see here with them. The other thing I just love about it so much is that we get to see it come full circle, man, because it wouldn't be realistic for Denny to shut them out. That's not who Denny has been throughout the entirety of our time knowing him and from everything Enzo has said about him. And so after he wins the custody and they come over and show up uns or unexpected at the door of her birthday party. 
for him to forgive them and invite them in to be a part of her life without saying a word, just to let it happen. Um, it's beautiful. And we get to, and it's when we hear Enzo come over with narration. He says, I'd often heard the expression to be the better man. Well, I knew no better man than Denny. And it's, it's beautiful. It's tender. It's, and it's a great example of forgiveness that Denny's gone through a lot, man. He is there. He would have every right to hold a grudge, but instead he recognizes that just like Zoe, just like his grandparents feel that they, you know, need, just like he knows he needs to be in her life. He knows they need to be in her life as well. And he's willing to allow that to happen no matter what. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's, it's such a sweet ending for that because it doesn't carry over um, long-term, thankfully. Well, last thing before connecting points is sort of a general question, catch all I think I just wanted to throw out there for anything else you had thoughts on, but like, what is this movie like for you as a dog owner in regards to how you relate to things in your relationship with your pets? Like, so you're watching this. Are you thinking about your dogs? And, and if so, what's going through your head? I'm absolutely thinking about my dogs. And I'm thinking about the fact that they're both so different from each other. And the first thing I do is gravitate towards Savvy, our collie German Shepherd mix, who resembles more closely to Enzo than Hope does, who's our pit healer mix. And so those four breeds, you know, when you look at those side by side, you know, a collie shepherd versus a pit healer, personality types are obviously night and day. But what I love is that I just wanted to hug on my dogs. And it reminds me how forgiving they are. And it this is probably what the 96% rating from Rotten Tomatoes comes from, is the fact that we want to believe that our pets see the best in us. Our dogs look at us not just as a source of food and attention, but of love and care. This happened today. The two dogs, both of them bark, but when there are strange things, according to them, that are happening on our street, Savvy will go to the to the window and bark. And the first thing Hope will do if we're living or if we're in the living room is she will jump up on the ottoman and get between us and the window. Like she is the protector. She doesn't bark. She just gets between us and says, all right, I am 70 pounds of protection and nobody's going to get by because I'm here to protect you. And it's consistent. It's absolutely consistent. Uh, this happened last night, uh, even with like between <laughs> me and Krisha, when I show affection towards Krisha, if we're standing up, she will nuzzle her way between the two of us because she's like, no, I need you to pay close attention to me. It's not mean. It's just she wants that kind of attention. And so there are things that you pick up. The way that we talk to them is very much you're just compelled to. And you're going to find this out with your dog. You're just going to just you're going to talk to your dog in a way that is different than the way you talk to another animal or even your kids. It's not baby talk necessarily. But my wife, I mean, every time, like every morning, 
our savvy is sleeping next to our bed and we call her up onto the bed so we can just give her her morning pets and she will say without skipping a beat you're so sweet because she is and it's just this thing that you are absolutely compelled to just want to love on your dogs and i don't know what it is um if you're listening and you're on Facebook, you know, chime in and let us know as a dog owner, what do you think it is that just compels you to want to just hug these animals and want to just pet their face and talk to them in a way that's completely different than any other kind of entity, animal, whatever. But I think for me, what this movie did is just confirmed how great dogs are as pets because they don't ask for much from you they allow you to love on them and they love on you without any kind of condition it's the closest thing that i can sense to unconditional love as anything else i think dogs more than anything can show us that unconditional love because we can get mad at them we can call them stupid we can hit them in the face and they will always come back because they know that they can ultimately trust us and when they bond with us when the longer they're with us, like Denny is with Enzo, to have them next to you, to have them follow you like a shadow, those are the affirming moments when you're like, wow, this dog would do anything for me. And we say that about each other. You know, we lay down our lives for a friend and you know, I would do that for you for sure. But you see this kind of day to day with animals, with dogs that will stand in front of danger for you and they don't care about anything but the one that they're bonded to. And we see that with, with our relationships and that's what I see. And so, yeah, after watching this movie, I immediately went to both of my dogs and just loved on them for five or 10 minutes. And if they were laying down, I laid with them in their dirty hair because I didn't care at that point. But yeah, it's, it definitely captures that, that intimacy that you have with your, with your dogs. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm excited. I mean, I have... So, welcome to the club here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a semblance of that with my relationship with my cats, which is probably closer than most people have with their cats. I mean, I have a very unique, loving relationship with all of them, where they're not just companions in the house that just roam around with me. They are, yeah. at all times, they're very dog-like in their affection for me. Uh, I don't think that they would protect me from anyone, though. They can't even protect themselves from each other. So, <laughs> yeah, they're not – that's not their role. They're not going to do that. But they definitely do get in the way if someone's over. And I thought about a lot of that when I was watching this. There's a moment when Denny is dating Eve, and I love the narration. I actually texted you, and you had pointed out – we both laughed out loud at this – when Enzo is being jealous – and he's like, I'll admit, I envy the attention he lavished on her with her opposable thumbs and plump buttocks. <laughs> I just died. <laughs> but Eve, eventually, when she's coming into the family, she's talking to him. And she says, you don't mind if I love him, too, do you? And it ultimately wins him over. And I think that that's something people have to go through as well. Yeah. Here's the thing that that I think is great about this movie is that no point is... Enzo elevated above Eve and Zoe, nor is he dismissed completely. And I think that's really interesting because when, when it comes to a story that wants to elevate a relationship between 
a a man and his dog that could be essentially a plot point oh let's see what would happen if we had to pick between the dog and the woman that could have been a plot point but it wasn't it was hinted at in a way that was fun and funny and it was handled in a way that it wasn't like being replaced like enzo is being replaced with eve or with zoe he was part of additions to Denny's life and that the love was different with everybody. The way I love my wife is different than the way I love my son. And the way that I love my son is different than the way I love my pets. And it's supposed to be. When you start getting into who would you choose, I think those are the wrong questions for a movie like this because I don't think the movie is trying to ask those questions. And I'm glad that it doesn't because that's not the point of this movie. The point of this movie is not which is more important, the relationship you have with your humans or with your pets. I don't like to think about making that choice. I would obviously make the the right choice, which would be humans over pets. But I think what this movie and the book probably does is it elevates the value of loving your pet and the the relationship being different than that of a relationship with a spouse or with a child and how those things can live cooperatively as opposed to live in conflict with each other. And that's what I think Garth Stein does really well in this story is he says, look, Danny's relationship with Enzo is valuable and that value adds to his relationship with Eve and with Zoe. And they reciprocate that to Enzo. I mean, he says at one point, uh, Enzo says that she would call him her little brother, you know, her sibling or whatever. And it's never talked about, you know, why they don't have a second kid. It's probably because he's on the road a lot. And of course, when she dies, there's that option is not there. But even when we get to the end of the movie, it's still just him and her. And Enzo, you know, being gone, they don't replace him. And so there's this idea that there's a purpose for each character in this story ends up being kind of the the driving force here. But I think that that's what I appreciate about the art of racing in the rain is that it doesn't use the elevation or the dismissiveness of the importance of the pet as a plot point, because to me, that's kind of gross. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, I agree with you there. A hundred percent. That's beautiful. And it- it also speaks to, I think, the uniqueness of relationships with pets. This is Denny and Enzo, and the fact that it's relatable is you have your own Enzos. You have two of them. I'm hopefully going to have one. My friend who has the Boston Terrier and they that I fell in love with, like, she has hers, right? And so everybody has their own dog that feels the same way about their dog. Enzo, in the beginning, he says... When he's getting adopted, call it fate, call it luck. All I knew was that I was meant to be his dog. And then at the end of it, Denny actually echoes that back to him and says, all this time I knew we were supposed to be together. I love you, boy. And it's beautiful because they both have this recognition of that bond. It's just a thing that happens. Like you said, the way that it occurs and It's a natural thing. And so you don't have to magically go out and find the quote unquote right dog. It will happen with the dog that you find. 
it is almost like a fate thing. It's crazy how that works. And, and I've felt that with my cats. So I can relate uh, in those terms, especially with my cat Strider. I mean, and the rest of them for sure. But the, the, my cat Strider is very much a relationship that is like the ones that people experience with their dog. Hopefully I'll have that with my puppy too. We'll find out soon. All right. Well, let's move on to our connecting point singular because we have the same one. And I'll let you kick it off, Patrick, and talk about what you think about this scene that was made it so powerful for you. Well, it came across as a surprise to me. And that's where I was kind of leaning towards my one more takeaway being unpredictable. And we we come full circle with that last scene that was the first scene where you have Enzo lying on the floor uh, next to his urine. And Denny picks him up, takes him to the couch, and starts petting him. And that's when we leave that first scene and go into the the story. Now we get back to that place, and what we find is that Denny is petting him, saying, it's okay, boy, you're a good boy. Oh, I love that. I just, I love, just by the way, I just love when dogs lay in your lap like that and when you can just pet their face. You know, I do that with Hope. I do it with Savvy. It's It's fantastic. And... What surprised me, what was unpredictable, much like the rain that became predictable for Denny, is that he's inspired by a race, I guess, from several years prior that he's watching on TV. And it gets him inspired to take Enzo on a race in a fantastic car, by the way. I love, love, love the car that he drives. And as he's driving, it's not just a casual drive. It's probably not the fastest that he can go, but he is racing the car. He's not just doing a leisurely drive. And at one point, this is where I connected, and this is where I lost it. I don't lose it in movies. I'm I'm not, I'm stoic when it comes to that. There may be a handful of movies where I just bawl like a baby. But this moment, Danny is driving and he looks at Enzo and he's petting him on the head and he says, you've been a friend, a very good friend. And I just, he was saying goodbye, Aaron. He was saying, I know that this is the end and I can't change that, but I'm not going to apologize for all of these years that you have been there for me. And I love that we didn't see him die. I love that the scene cuts from that to whatever the next scene is uh, that we didn't need to. We didn't. We already saw the worst of it, which was uh, Enzo getting hit by a car, which is terrible. But that line just kind of put it over for me where I was like, I'm going to probably say that to my pets, to my dogs who have always been and will always be very good friends because again they're unconditionally loving towards me and it it just it broke me and uh yeah so that was that was was it for me well it's mine too and i'll say a couple things about that in a sec i I just actually i'll say it right i'll say it first and then i'll mention my runner-up because there's another scene that i was close behind it for me but yes for all the reasons you just stated it definitely makes me ball. Um, we know what's coming, right? I think the beauty 
in this and part of what makes it so powerful is that we know because Enzo has told us multiple times in the movie that his dream is to be out there on the racetrack. Like he loves being at the track. It's his favorite place to go. When Denny takes him, he's always wanted to be. He said, you know, I dream of being in a car alongside him racing in a track or something. And he gets to realize that. And it's this incredible thing because it's it's psychic in a sense, right? Denny understands that. Denny knows that is what he needs in that moment. He can't tell Denny that with words, right? It's not like he runs over and picks up a notepad that has or a picture of a magazine with a car and like drops it in Denny's lap to say, take me in a car. They just know. They understand each other. That That's that bond that I was talking about that makes it so beautiful. And yes, the car is sexy as heck. And the race is driving them around. It's just a wonderful scene. Him barking at Denny asking if he wants to try a hot lap and go fast. He's like, yes, let's go. Let's go. I like one of the quotes that you and I brought up earlier is actually in the dialogue before he says, you've been a good friend. He says, Enzo's talking. He says, I've never, ever felt so special. I'd like to stay out here forever. And uh, yeah, like the idea of like having a last moment with your pet and kind of knowing that being able to do this before they're gone. So that's one of the things, man, is we don't usually get that. It usually it, it can happen in such a blink and you don't know and you might regret it and this is a great way of remembering to spend this time with them do the things you want to do with them he says i wish i could glimpse what awaits them in marinello he's already thinking about denny he's thinking about denny's future he's about to die denny will be a wonderful driver for ferrari so wonderful that one day they will pluck him from the ranks to give him a tryout for their formula one team try me he'll say i'd like to see that but we can't have everything we want Besides, the best drivers don't dwell in the future or the past. The best drivers focus only on the present. So he's like simultaneously like thinking about the future and what he wishes, but he's learned these lessons and he's applying them in the real time. We can't have everything we want. This is what matters. And it's beautiful. And that's when Denny says, you've been a good friend, a very good friend. And he says the best of friends. And it is just so touching uh, and so beautiful. And it's one of the things that makes being a pet owner so difficult is because we're going to outlive them. We talked about this in the Frank and Weenie episode because that's what it's about. Like a parent, you know, you got me wanting, you know, you're going to eventually lose the pet, right? And so you're going to have to go through this and just don't have any regrets when you do. And I don't think that Enzo or Denny have to have any regrets about their relationship. Uh, my brief runner up, I just want to throw out there is actually Denny and Eve's last moment, because it is also a moment that I lose it. They are dancing in her parents' living room to Crosby, Stills and Nash helplessly hoping. And we get a shot of Zoe and Enzo watching them and smiling and uh, it, this is another, it's it's the equivalent, right? It's a peaceful final moment that you want for people to have together. And you want them to have that chance to say, I love you and to create a memory before one of them is gone forever. And getting to see Denny and Eve have that is incredibly tender and sweet. 
And the next moment after that is we see that Eve's going to die and Enzo is there. And that's when she tells him not to be afraid. And she says, you know, it's not the end. And I understand that you know that too. And it's, it's interesting because he says he, he sees her soul leave her body at her last breath. And I just thought that was a, a neat touch as well. And just the, the whole, I guess the, the, I don't know how to word it, but like respectful way in which this all plays out. It feels perfect to me. It doesn't over dramatize it in a way that is cheesy or goofy. It's just sweet and feels realistic and natural to me. Um, and I, and beautiful. And so I love those moments as well. One and one A, I guess you could say for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. The kids. That's good. Well, with that, we wrap up another episode here at Feelin' Film. We hope you've enjoyed what we've been bringing to you thus far. Be sure to stay tuned this week as we'll be sending out an FF Plus midweek for your listening pleasure. And after that, we'll be taking the week off so Aaron can adjust to life with a new family member. If you haven't already guessed, he's getting a dog. <laughs> but after that, it's back to Doggo Month with our coverage of Isle of Dogs. So be prepared for lots of fun with that. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.